Hello and welcome to the Crux, the weekly Women's Agenda podcast. In today's episode, we are talking about a few different men who've been making some unfavorable headlines and doing a few other things. There's a wide-ranging discussion. Should be pretty interesting. Thank you for listening. We are recording this episode of The Crux on the 22nd of September, 2023. My name is Angela Priestley, joining you from Gadigal Land, and I am joined by my co-founder and Women's Agenda editor, Tyler Lambert. Hey, Ange. I'm on Bundjalung Country today. Nice to have a chat. It's been a little while. It is uh, very nice to have a chat. It has (laughs) been a while. Where have you been, Ange? Tell everyone where you've been. Oh, yeah. I went to Fiji. It was lots of fun. (laughs) Not too shabby. Not too shit. Family holiday. Uh, need another holiday from the family holiday, but it was lovely. Uh, but yeah, three kids who are at an age where they really want to be doing stuff every single minute of the holiday. So, and that involves not sitting by the pool and drinking cocktails. <laughs> yeah. All right. But today we have woken up to the news that uh, Rupert Murdoch has announced that he is stepping down as chair of Fox and News Corporation, so pretty big shift from arguably, I'm going to say it, the world's most powerful man, possibly the person who has wielded more power than almost anyone else over the past few decades and especially a lot of power over democracy, prime ministers, women's rights, various other things. Be careful, Ange, don't get us sued. No, he might have a bit of time on his hands and maybe he's going to start listening to the Women's Agenda podcast. So <laughs> yeah, exactly. But let's start with some wins. Go ahead, Tala, with your wins. My win this week is the people that are coming forward and, and particularly those with high profile coming forward and standing up for the voice to parliament because as we approach the final couple of weeks, it's getting more and more important. The polls are still robustly in favour of a no vote, which is, I find, incredibly sad and and anxiety-ridden. But this week, Kathy Freeman has thrown her support behind The Voice. Uh, she is one of the most high-profile Indigenous endorsements uh, for the Yes campaign. And the video that she, that she released was really powerful. And she said, I can't remember a time when change has felt so urgent. Um, she said, when momentum has been so strong from small towns to big cities, something is in the air and I know all Australians feel it too. She said, we have the chance to be part of a moment that brings people together to work hard for something that we can all believe in. And right now, each of us can be part of something that really matters to stand together and to show our support for Australians who need it the most. It went on to note about the importance of of giving First Nations people an equal start in life and and to open our hearts. And I think you know, it was just, it, it's really critical that we have as many people as possible coming out um, and speaking up. And, and you know, I wrote a piece this week about the fact that we do have a lot of high profile figureheads and celebrities coming out and endorsing a vote to parliament. And I think it's because for the most part, when we are promoting something like that, it's because we feel really passionately and we feel proud of the fact that that's our decision. And I made note of the fact that we don't really see that many no campaigners in the street. We don't see volunteers for the no campaign very regularly. We don't see, I mean, aside from, you know, Jacinta Price and and Peter Dutton getting up on, on Sky News and, well, all other media, to be fair, we're not seeing a huge 
amount or number of, of high profile Australians getting up and, and suggesting that the no campaign is the right way to go or business leaders. So, I mean, I think that that's really encouraging, but I think also perhaps no campaigners need to take stock of why they're not proud of that decision, why they're not willing to come out openly or try to sway Australians like, you know, about why they believe that the no campaign should should move ahead or why we shouldn't move ahead with with noting our First Nations people in the Constitution. But I think I, I ultimately think, you know, we need to take stock of our right to vote and what a vast privilege that is. And if we're not proud of what we're voting for, then maybe we need to think about what we're actually doing and why we're not proud of it and whether or not our decisions are are led by fear and apprehension about what might be ahead and whether or not that's a valid reason for ever voting. Ange, sorry, that was a bit of a rant from me, but yeah, I do think it's really important that we're having these conversations and that people are standing up like Kathy Freeman and really sharing her lived experience and sharing why this is is so critical for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. Yeah, and I think they're seeing some momentum with the Yes campaign the last few days yeah so we'll, we'll see how you know, maybe there's a bit of a, a shift over the coming week or so when it comes to the polls mm. but who knows about those polls I don't know you know if people are not willing to say that they're voting no or you know I, I just uh, yeah I don't know what the polls can tell us but anyway my wins I'm going to go to two I'm going to go to two international wins and I'm going to describe them fairly quickly first is uh, we'll go to India first of all. So 27 years ago, a bill was introduced in the Indian Parliament's lower house and it was called the Women's Reservation Bill to ensure that one third of parliamentary seats were reserved for women. So that was 27 years ago. Obviously, it's been a bit of a talk. It's been put on a bit of a back burner for a time and it has finally passed. Uh, so it's just passed on Wednesday it will be a few years before there's, you know, much of a significant shift. But in Parliament now, just 13% of seats are held by women. So this will change things quite dramatically if it comes through, if things progress. Um, there are, like I say, I mean, we've got a few quotes in the story that Jesse too did saying that, you know, women have been waiting a very long time for this. And sadly, they do need to wait a few more years. But quite an interesting shift. And um, I think obviously clearly important to reserve these seats for women, given they're still at a point where just 13 percent of seats are held by women so that's a good win and then my second win that I wanted to say and I'm actually saying this one we did do a piece on this but I wanted to say this one in light of the uh the Murdoch news that came out overnight just to keep with the media tradition and also because Tyler we run a independent media business uh that is 100% owned by women that doesn't have any Murdoch ownership at all which is actually (laughs) quite rare in Australia um and so in Somalia there is an all-women media outlet. It is the country's first all-media outlet. They are a team of six, so six-women newsroom, and formed a year ago. And the news announced this week is that they will be expanding, which is really exciting. It's a really important operation. It's called it's called Bilan, B-I-L-A-N, and um, so you can go and check it out and have a look at that. But really, really essential operation in uh, Somalia, which has a pretty shocking record of women's rights I believe it is ranked by the UN the fourth worst on women's rights Um, and I just want to see if I can find the source for it but other things you know according to reporters without 
borders. It is the most dangerous country for journalists in Africa. More than 50 journalists have been killed in the past 12 years. So this is obviously dangerous work as much as it is critical work. And here it is now. I've just pulled it up. It So it was ranked by the UN as the fourth lowest for gender equality globally. And women and girls in Somalia, um, you know, face, I mean, there's a maternal and infant mortality rates that are shocking, um, some of the highest in the world. Forced childhood marriage is pervasive there. And 36% of girls are married by the age of 18 there. So really important. So cool to see that mm. they're expanding. Great want to see it more and we're going to be covering and following their journey and seeing where we can support as well from here from our what seven person operation here in <laughs> no we're huge <laughs> so, <laughs> i want to reach out to them i think it's so awesome um so Balan media is really cool those are two very good international stories this week so yeah. i am very into that um especially against the backdrop of so much bullshit that's happening with some very prominent men um which leads us to our first story this week which goes to the troubling allegations against a uk comedian russell brand four women have come out to publicly accuse the british comedian of rape sexual assault and emotional abuse the allegations were first published over the weekend in an exclusive investigation by the Sunday Times. Uh, I believe there's now a investigation being done by the police, but also the BBC, where Brand was a, an employee for a long time. Hours later, the allegations were also broadcast in a joint television documentary called Russell Brand in Plain Sight, which aired on Channel 4 in the UK. Among the several women who have come forward to make allegations against Brand, four went on the record, as I said. Only one has so far chosen to identify herself while the others remain anonymous. And according to the Times, the women do not know each other, though all of them felt ready to speak out after reporters approached them individually. Brand has denied all of the allegations against him and he says that it's a coordinated attack and he says that every sexual encounter he's had is consensual but these allegations are very damning and one of them that I felt was particularly disturbing was of one of the women notes that she was 16 at the time uh, that she had this relationship with Brand and she says in retrospect she felt that it was a situation of her being groomed by him and he would tell her and coach her on what to say to her parents where to tell them that she was it's it's pretty horrific and and as i said disturbing stuff and um, mm. and what are your feelings on this one it's hard to have feelings on this i think the the investigation it was called oh sorry the documentary called in plain sight that's right it, it's mm. i think that that name that title is just so apt i just like I, I listened to a couple of the, you know, a lot of the recordings from his radio show and it, it was, you know, this stuff was ha- just what he was saying. Some of the things that he did was was so mm. awful. And eventually he did get fired from those outlets. But like mm. it, there, there were cases where it was allowed to happen and he could have these views and just it was, it was pretty awful. But then, of course, these are quite separate that these are allegations. And I know there's been a lot of talk about why did it take so long for these allegations to surface, especially since, you know, they um they go back to kind of pre me too times as well and you sort of think well how did it all come up at me too but in plain sight is just such an apt description that it feels like you know 
apparently people all knew this and that's the thing and often this happens people always knew it but it is not easy for these allegations to come together into a story into the investigation like what the Sunday Times has put together and um, you know crack team of journalists who've made that happen and would have spent you know months if not years but likely on this trying to talk to those sources and build trust with those sources and like how just legal everything would have been. Like this is huge, this investigation. And um, I also note like Russell Brand, his defence, he took to his own like YouTube channel to Mm. defend Mm. himself and he's sort of painting himself as this victim of like the mainstream media, which is. You are part of the mainstream media. (laughs) Like you are one of the vast beneficiaries of the mainstream media. It's just so funny. It's like. You like everybody knows who you are. I think that's sort of a definition know. of having not exactly being some kind of person sitting over on the yeah, edges yeah. who can't get into a room somewhere. Like clearly you can. Clearly yeah. you've been kicked out of a few rooms at the same time and maybe like it's time to go and investigate what happened with being kicked out of those rooms and if yeah. more action should have been taken at the time. But like you have enough of a fan base to be able to have a voice, millions of followers, you know, the fact that you could take to your own YouTube channel to to deny this and yeah I, I, I yeah I mm, think it's coordinated like attack. yeah the coordinated attack against Russell Brand poor Russell Brand yeah um a, yeah the Sunday Times called women's agenda and we're just here we're just going to coordinate this like you know <laughs> <laughs> I think you know all of these allegations and now what's kind of coming out in the aftermath and, and it all kind of links up with the character that he was but I guess it's again a character that we almost enjoyed in terms of what we saw on on movies and and in you know his live sets and things like that where he's being so crude and so out there at times I do think that there's almost a little bit of an issue in terms of of comedians going down that line as well because it's it it is hard to kind of see through what is satire what is humor and what is just disgusting like I think at the moment and you know you see it with like comedians like Jimmy Carr who make really really crude horrible jokes and and by all accounts Jimmy Carr's like a nice dude has a nice family like I'm not accusing him of anything like just just for the record not accusing Jimmy Carr of anything but I think like you know we do need to start to have that conversation as well as uh, of what is like actually appropriate anymore I think we can you know, it's not about it's not about woke washing things. It's not about you know making things like panning freedom of speech or whatever else. It's just like at some point we have to reconcile the fact that some of these jokes are not so funny. They're actually pretty disgusting and disturbing. But yeah, look, there are lots of claims that are coming out against Russell Brand. One this morning that the BBC is investigating about him flashing a woman before laughing about it on his radio show. So again, as you say, like this behavior was in plain sight a lot of the time and we we laughed it off because of the Russell Brand character that we think was okay in in that space and and now it's you know coming out that it it could be a lot more sinister than what we ever knew. Oh yeah, so, like we'll see. Like I think we'll we'll see more, and that's you know he's really tried yeah. to rebrand himself a lot over <laughs> the years and sort of present himself as this, you know different, emerged, evolved character, but that doesn't the ultimate wash, intellectual that doesn't wash away the past. Oh. And so we'll um yeah um this has so much further to go. So I did love. So I have wrote, written a piece about Sean Locke, the comedian, when he died a couple of years ago, and he's also a British comedian, very 
prominent, hilarious. And <laughs> my piece was around how when I was a new mum watching eight out of 10 cats in which Sean Lock Sean Locke was always on really helped me through those periods of insomnia and basically postpartum depression. And I was watching a a recap of one of his clips (laughs) in which he's talking about Russell Brand and he's like, yeah, I just, I just hate him. Like I hate him. (laughs) He's like, and all the other comedians around him are like, what the hell? And he's like, I think just cause like I, one day i bet one of my daughters is going to come home with something like that and he's going to come she's going to walk in and he's going to be like oh I love this charming abode <laughs> like, it was just such a funny clip anyway it made me uh love Sean Locke even more so it makes you think like how many people weren't willing to say anything like is it like maybe there are other male comedians who would never it's like oh we can't say a thing like we sort of know that shit's going down and he's you know, there's a few things that are not quite right there, but I would never say it because, you know, Russell Brand is Russell Brand. We can never we can never try to bring him down because he's that powerful guy over here and imagine where that would put us. So um, yeah. credit to that guy's uh, courage for that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was yeah. Uh, one of a kind. So another story we'll move on to is, uh, so, yeah, a bit of a, a curious one. I feel like we are, we're not so on the domestic topics this week, but um, we thought we'd give this one a whirl too because we found it pretty interesting. And it's regarding um, Jan Wiener, who is the co-founder of Rolling Stone, and he has just released this book called The Masters, which is this 300-plus page of interviews he has conducted with a series of rock legends over the years. So people like, you know, your Bob Dylan, John Lennon, Mick Jagger, Bruce Springsteen, what is sounding very familiar about <laughs> They're all men. Yeah, so he's got this The Masters book and they're all mm-hmm. men and there are no people of colour either in who he has deemed the masters. And anyway, so a few people have sort of raised this and said, hey, what's the deal here? You know, there's plenty of great other musicians and rock legends that you'd think could be included. And basically he's gone to the New York Times with this and he's told this New York Times interviewer that he chose the seven white guys in his book The Masters and basically (laughs) said that musicians of colour and female artists we're just not in his zeitgeist and he, said, he kept like doubling down on these quotes this is why it's like it's like oh no oh he said that oh no and he just keeps going and going and going and he says he says the selection was not a deliberate selection it was kind of intuitive over the years it just fell together that way the people had to meet a couple criteria but it was just kind of my personal interest and love of them <laughs> Insofar as the women, just none of them were as articulate enough on this intellectual level. <laughs> I wonder if his criteria was that they needed to have wangs. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I just it just goes back to this guy who has been, you know, we're talking about the co-founder of Rolling Stone. We're talking about the Hall of Fame of, of around rock legends. And basically he's a gatekeeper. He controls and has controlled so much around music and these sorts of people do really control it happens in Australia internationally and it's like they control so much of who gets to be famous who gets listened to who gets to make money who gets to have legacy who gets to keep making music you know 40 years on and things like that Mm. and so that's what this is and this is this guy and he's basically putting all out there basically saying well they don't they're not like me so therefore, I'm not going to elevate them at this level where I have the power to be able to elevate them. So he has, you know, Wiener, he has actually apologised. 
just but um he and he has been removed from that hall of fame board as well but yeah i we just saw it we so we've got like a good explainer piece on how this all went down and we just really saw this as like a really interesting take on what happens when you know when someone gets to this thing and they so overtly put it out there in terms of how they made their selection they're so rigid in their rigid in their belief but yeah look i think it is it is just very telling isn't it when you know that these kind of men are in positions of you know unique power particularly in in an industry that is hard to break through in and that's their ultimate position that's their guiding light and how they see the world and how they perceive things so like this is this is one instance where he's writing a book but in his capacity to make decisions, in his capacity to influence and and put people up and bonds people and get people into like open doors for people. How did that impact the way that he, you know, navigated his career and how many women and people of colour missed out because he didn't believe that they were intellectual enough or, or you know, that they were worthy enough because of, of some, you know, very simplistic base view yeah. um, on his part so and and it is it's a problem when you I think again in those industries when you have just a handful of very powerful people wielding all of the the decisions and and making um, all of the calls it does it does become very problematic and and obviously this was very clearly highlighted in this interview and yeah look he went yeah. into that interview probably very prepped about what was going to come and the questions that were going to be posed to him so to then come out and be like oh i apologize now is i think not enough <laughs> like yeah you you, yeah. you well, know made, what you're he's been ruled over the rock and roll hall of fame for 36 years and just 7.7 percent of new inductees have been women <laughs> it's like and and then he says so this is back in now 2019 he said in an interview asked when he was asked you know hey do you think this is an issue he said well no because people are inducted for their achievements oh, and musical achievements have got to be race neutral and gender neutral in terms of judging them and it's I, I just I also can't help but think like you now like I feel like we've really had a shift in music where it's it's not all like you know you can actually access a wider range of musicians we have more choice we we have to we can probably rely less on gatekeepers than in the past given streaming services and things mm-hmm. like that and isn't it amazing that like the people who are getting the uh, making the most money now and getting the well, most single handedly boosting the economy the most awards, yeah. uh, you know people like Taylor Swift and Beyonce and I know that they're not in the the rock kind of genre but like it's incredible how it's shifted now that we have um, uh, I would suggest more ability to control what we choose to listen to than in the past. So, yeah. One final point. I have also heard Mick Jagger interviewed many times over and I can tell you that Mick Jagger is not that articulate and <laughs> certainly not an intellectual genius aside from his music prowess. So, uh, but, um, yeah. Maybe he's like of the uh, – because the, the, the comment was intellectual level. So maybe he's on the same intellectual level mm. as me. <laughs> this arbitrary intellectual level as decided by John Werner. That's pretty much it for us this week. Final thoughts, Tyler. Final thoughts. Uh, I am thinking off the back of your piece today and off another piece that we are producing today about the legacy of Rupert Murdoch and what that actually means and the damage that's been done and the carnage that's been caused and you know, whether or not any of that will abate now that 
Lachlan's in charge, I dare say not, given his actions in recent times. So it's, uh, I think, a really, I mean, talking about men with too much power, he is the absolute epitome of, of what that is. Glad he's glad he is finally calling it quits at the ripe old age of 92 but what does that actually mean when he kind of exists as this like omnipresent force behind that company and and the way that it moves forward and and as as I said you know the the damage that's already been done in terms of our inaction on climate change in terms of our inaction on on social policy on women's rights on LGBTQI plus rights so much so much chaos has been caused by by his reign so that is what I'm thinking about and I dare say that you are thinking about the same <laughs> yeah I mean I we, we yeah, I woke up to that news and immediately uh got writing some thoughts about it but it is I mean it is just this power like nothing else and we don't even necessarily see this power it sort of happens behind closed doors and that make no mistake he has had a lot of control over politics in this country and politics in other countries as well. And he's had a lot of you know, sway in terms of prime ministers and presidents and, and others. And, and he's also had a lot of uh, sway over, and, and whether he believes it or not, but like over, you know, domestic policies and international negotiations and, you know, how we talk about everything from the voice uh, to LGBTQI plus rights to uh, women's rights to climate change, especially. So I think it's really interesting. I don't know that much changes, you know, like it's it's definitely staying in the family. I don't think Lachlan Murdoch is of that same level. Um, but, and I think that Rupert Much Murdoch- like Kendall Roy. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't going to say it, but uh, yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, we'll, we will see if anything. Oh, I'm just thinking that evolves. final scene of succession right now, but uh, and I can't say it because I might be giving it away, but it is very, very powerful and quite, uh, it still sits with me in a disturb, disturbing way. But uh, uh, Rupert Murdoch, I don't, think, I don't think he's actually seen succession. I, I recall an interviewer asking him. I thought that was interesting. But, um, yeah, so I don't know that much changes, but, like, I just think that I hope that we can, because this opens the opportunity to have a bigger discussion about media diversity in Australia and media concentration concentration in Australia and the fact that Murdoch owns around two-thirds of mainstream media in Australia, which is incredible. There are certain towns and areas of Australia that only have uh, a, you know, a Murdoch-owned newspaper in uh, available or that reports on their local issues and stuff like that. So I think it is... Um, good to have these discussions and the fact that uh, hopefully more people can be talking about it, more people can be aware of, you know, what he owns and how big that is and, and what the influence that, you know, things like Fox News uh, can have. Um, and, yeah, mm-hmm. but, you know, it's only it's, it's a few hours since we learned this news ourselves. So hopefully we- he can get married at least four more times before he, you know, kicks the bucket. Uh, where, I'm betting on it. Where's he at? <laughs> so he's had four marriages, and he's just oh yeah, he he's, he's he's tinkering on the edge of one at the moment. I think so. You Wait, know, he, he's got a new girlfriend. He's got a new girlfriend. I, I believe in him. I believe in him. I mean, I wonder if uh, yeah, maybe he wants to sit back and relax. But I can't see. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like he's still got to be there in the background. He's very sharp still for his age, and um. I mean, he did make the comment to the Murdoch employees that for my entire professional life, I've been engaged daily with news and ideas and that will not change. 
So oh, good. <laughs> watch your back. He might start <laughs> wandering the newsrooms with more time on his hands. So God. <laughs> anyway. It's uh, uh yeah. Let's get to our own news operation, Tyler. We've got some back to it achieve with this so yeah a quick reminder that tickets are still available to the women's agenda leadership awards which are moving ahead on the 13th of october in melbourne we're really excited about it we are lucky enough to have professor megan davis giving the keynote at that event and it will be the night before the referendum so no doubt she'll have some very powerful words to share we also have comedian kirsty Wiebeck emceeing and the amazing Jack River performing, as well as celebrating the incredible lineup of finalists that we have this year. So if you are keen, then get in quick because tickets are definitely selling out very fast and you can get them on www.womensagendaleadershipawards.com.au. And Ange, last thoughts for you. Yeah, last thoughts was just uh, to, a reminder to go and check out our daily newsletter so you can catch up on all the, the the stories and various things that we discuss on the podcast we have usually written a story about it so go and check it out at womensagenda.com.au where you can subscribe to that daily lunchtime update and you can stay in the loop of everything that's going on um, plus across all our socials too and Tyler and I will continue our mission to take over uh, various media assets uh, locally <laughs> and across the globe and to build an empire that will be uh, that will match anything. <laughs> it's only a matter of time, really. Thank you for listening. <laughs>